Hi there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. This is Luke Gerlach from Think Chat. This is confession number 57. And today we're going to talk about Juneteenth or giving a voice to the voiceless. The last couple of months, I apologize, but it has been a roller coaster in my life between my school's verification visit. I thought that was behind me. And I'm actually leaving um, my position um, in two days. And that comes with a lot of change, as well as becoming an independent consultant. And then my father going into the hospital and getting heart stents put in to his body. So it's been a lot all at once, but I'm always a believer that these things happen all, you know, at certain times in our lives um, for us to learn a lesson. And so I'm still trying to figure out what that lesson is. But um, here I am still standing, um, waiting to talk more with you and um, to delve into some ideas that have been coming onto my mind. Now, in our last episodes, we were talking about the ATLs and how to build communication skills. And, you know, to me, communication is about finding our voice and helping others to get more informed about the world around us, right? And sometimes we have to discuss difficult and uncomfortable subjects to help our learners and ourselves to better understand the systems of inequity, justice, and accountability. Now, this morning I woke up to a historic day in the U.S., which is called Juneteenth. It's now a federal holiday and that was just put in effect two days ago by President um, Biden. And for those that don't live in the United States, this is not anything that impacts you. But I, I beg to differ. I think it does. Um, for the rest of us that live within the United States, you know, this holiday has changed everything for so many in my country. And it got me thinking about how do we give voice to the voiceless, whether it be in our own country or beyond elsewhere in the world. Now, just to give you a little history or context of what Juneteenth is, on June 19th, 19, uh, sorry, 1863, that's a long time ago, black slaves were being held in Galveston, Texas. And they were notified that they were free due to the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, these were the last people to be set free since the area was quite remote. And it took a while for, you know, people from a soldier to get out there. So Juneteenth took place more than one month after the ending of the Civil War and 900 days. That's a lot of days. If you think about it, that's nearly three years after President Lincoln assigned the proclamation. So these poor people were still enslaved when they didn't have to be. So Juneteenth has a, you know, a significant place in the history of my country. And if, if I were to say how, and obviously, you know, the history of slavery that we just haven't dealt with as a nation, it, you see it rearing its head over and over again. Um, the events of last summer, you know, they all happened because of that event. And we as a culture have not dealt with these things. And so they just keep coming and coming. And what's really interesting to me 
is that many children in our public schools within Texas, an hour away from where this historic event happened, don't even learn about this in school. And the existence of slavery in our history has been put under the rug and, and the sting still rests on the shoulders of many black Americans. And their ancestors were the only ones who were, think about it, kidnapped, sold to another and told they were three-fifths of a person. And that's in our constitution. And that's why a lot of people don't, black Americans don't, um, uh, let's say, uh, feel a connection to like the Pledge of Allegiance. And last year, I remember watching a video of an interview with um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speaking about the Emancipation Proclamation. And this really shook me because I thought, wow, this is so, this is why he was, you know, the father of the Civil Rights Movement. As he said that, you know, this proclamation may freed the black man to a life of poverty. Yes, they were free, but they weren't afforded the same opportunities as their white counterparts and that they were promised in the U.S. Constitution. So technically they were free. They were no longer being owned, but they didn't have the opportunity to own land and um, have um, equal rights um, as a free person. And Dr. King tried to have a second emancipation proclamation put into place to deal with this segregation issues at that time. And what's really been resonating with me as this Juneteenth has passed through is my own experience. I am a Korean German American, so I'm half white, half Korean. Um, and I'm coming into a school that is predominantly black American. There's three other people that are, um, and not black on campus, teacher, um, anyone that's working within the school. And what's really interesting to me, well, we do have some Hispanic um, uh, helpers around the school uh, through our custodial services. But what's really interesting to me is working in this at school that services at-risk students, right? So children that are on free or reduced lunch in one of the most poorest uh, neighborhoods. This is the neighborhood that um, George Floyd passed, you know, he comes from, uh, he comes from actually where I live, um, in the neighborhood I live, but it, he went to the same high school as these children will go to. And what's really interesting to me is I've really seen and felt the plight of many of my colleagues and the idea of white privilege. And although I'm half Asian and half white, I recognize that the way I look at life and the opportunities that I'm granted is different than many others with darker skin. And what I also recognize is that there's also a class or caste difference between those within um, African-American culture between the how light and dark your skin is, which has been fascinating to me because I've seen it time and time again beyond in other cultures, like in Arab cultures and Indian culture, that the fair, well, my own Asian culture, 
that the fair less blemished you are the more valued you are and i think that goes back to our history of those that worked in the fields versus those that were in the home and as i've navigated this subculture that's not my own the one thing i have noticed is that i've seen multi-generations of people who've missed their calling in life for something greater because certain systems kept them oppressed in which is kind of a modern day form of slavery and which is really interesting to me because as i've further reflected on this process you know our or this nation that i live in is founded on the backs of indigenous and foreign people you know the slaves were brought here without their own choice, but these were other people that were promised a better life. And when they got here, it was horrible. They were indentured servants. And, you know, the Chinese came to our country because, the, you know, they were practically dying over there in their own country. And there was a famine and they came and didn't, they didn't have a problem laying every railroad track in america that's backbreaking work and through their industry and innovation they began to flourish and started creating businesses and as they prospered you can imagine that there was envy and jealousy from certain other populations that, and they went and lobbied with the government so much so that you had 10 years that you could live within the united states and then you were shipped back to China, regardless of the conditions back at home, and you were ineligible for naturalization. Then on May 6, 1882, the president um, implemented the Chinese Exclusion Act, which basically um, kept these Chinese people out. And it was in effect on 1943, which is really... I can't imagine, right? And I I think that that's part of our history we haven't dealt with. And I remember, you know, it's not the only part of our history. And I remember in university, I truly was traumatized when I learned about the Indian Removal Act of May 1830. I mean, I really cried a couple days after I learned the truth which was hidden from me as I was growing up in America, that President Andrew Jackson, the, it, the guy that's face is on the $20 US bill, who really should be removed because he is the one that signed the bill, the order to remove all Native American tribes from their ancestral lands to snowy Oklahoma, which is north of me. And he knew that there were Native Americans that weren't on the plains, but that were on coastal waters in Florida. And so imagine living in sunny, balmy weather, eating fish, and then all of a sudden being transported to a, you know, land that has um, nothing. And then once you get there and you make the best of it, guess what? They move them again and disperse them out. Um, because they were being prosperous and ad adapting. And what's really amazing to me is that 
we haven't really talked about this as a society that based on tribal and military records, approximately 100,000 Native Americans were removed from their homes with little or no possessions. They literally had what was on their back, no food, no provisions. And then their homes were looted by the soldiers. And about 15,000 of them died during that journey west, which is called the Trail of Tears. And for many generations, Native Americans became wards of the state. They had little hope or I would say even no hope for opportunity on their reservations because they were so removed. And I remember as a child seeing rampant alcoholism and poverty as a theme that you would see attached to um, Native American reservations. And in the past 20 to 30 years, what I have marveled at is the innovation of some tribes who've taken their protected lands and leveraged them to create profitable businesses by opening up casinos. And since this turn of fortune, as you can imagine, growing up in California, I constantly heard politicians lobbying because the states have no control, it's federal land, that they tried to cash in, once again, taking away the resources that they became um, really innovative in procuring to get them out of the situation. They still pay their, you know, federal income taxes. They're still, you know, just like every other citizen, but they just don't pay into the state in which they live. And I think it's very interesting that any time a minority group tries to uprise, someone else is trying to take it away. And every country has their indigenous people who've been mistreated and oppressed, the Aboriginal people, in Australia, the Maori people. But the one thing that I find fascinating, really fascinating, is that how there's so many times we've had the opportunity to openly deal. And I think with the events of the last summer, we're getting closer of how can we deal with these things that are hap happened in our history that still touch our lives today. And this is what we want our students to do. You know, obviously, in second grade, we don't want to be talking about these things. But as children get older, we have to be able to set the stage for them to be able to engage with injustice. Because currently, in present day, just as I reacted to the Native Americans, I reacted the same way when I learned about the Uyghurs, the Turkic people in northwestern China. They are mountain-dwelling, passive Islamic people who are being rounded up, kidnapped, once again, taken to ethnic cleansing camps, reprogrammed that they are no longer Islamic, lose their language, that they're Chinese. They're being stripped of their cultural identity, and they're also being told if they don't do these things that they'll never see their children again. Meanwhile, their children are being reprogrammed. So when the parent reconnects, the child is losing, um, they've been reprogrammed. And they're also sterilizing the women so that they can't 
continue on with their culture. Over 3 million people have entered these camps and only about 1 million still reside in them. And many of them are never returned, but put into slave labor around China. And so how is this being allowed to happen in present day? That we don't think of certain atrocities like these things as a passive thing because injustice happens all the time. And I am sorry to be heavy this week, but you know, this is to me, the essence of communication skills. How are we able to set the frame that the framework that our students are able to feel comfortable enough to speak about these things? Because if they don't know, then they're going to walk into the world blind that these types of things are happening. We talk about in fifth and sixth grade about the Holocaust as if these types of atrocities are past, uh, you know, a past event that nothing could happen in 2021 like this but we we see it um around us in this world so how are we giving them the agency to learn about these injustices and advocate for the rights of others because that is also the importance of developing strong communication skills well that's enough about the heavy my friends it just was so on my chest about all of these things that I wanted to share them with you to get us thinking about how far do we go with sharing some of the things that are happening in this world that we don't quite yet understand or don't quite know how to deal with. Um, so on that, I'll see you next time. We'll be a lot lighter and um, have a wonderful day.